Welcome to another episode of the Excel Podcast. We've finally managed to find the time between our two schedules. I sat down with Scott Brown, arguably Scotland's most prolific hardcore DJ producer. You can catch Scott playing at 1994 on the 26th of March, joining the lineup of Ultrasonic. Rhythm Quest, Rhythmic State, George Bowie, Trevor Riley, Joe Deacon, Malcolm X and MC Cyclone. Can't wait to have Scott back to play some 90s hardcore. Get your tickets from Skiddle and Ticket Scotland. Moving on with the podcast, here's my interview with Scott as we talk about his journey through music. Right, so another episode of the XL podcast. This one's been a long time in the making with self-confessed vampire Mr. Scott Brown, how are you? Oh yes, how are you? <laughs> yes, definitely I'm right up there with the, the Dracula cat- category. Uh, I do like my sleep. Uh, we'll try to organise this for a while, won't we? Uh, not a while, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been probably near, almost two years. I mean, it's been kind uh, of as well. a lockdown. <laughs> I, 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 remember, yeah, I remember when it was all happening and the, the, a lot of people turned to live streams and, and yeah. podcasts and whatever. And I was just, I kind of shied away from the whole thing. You know, I was like, you know something, I'm just going to be a hermit. And at first, because we thought, yeah, we've got a little cold, it's going to blow over. Um, a few weeks. Back. You, you know, it was it, it did feel like that. So, you know, at first, what was it, March, something like that? Uh-huh. And then I thought, it's actually quite a nice wee break. And after three months, it was like, <laughs> I, I need to get out. But I used to blame my my, um, my sleepiness. It's not that, it's not a condition or anything. I just used, I used to blame it, I'm just lazy. I used to blame it on um, on gigs. So I would take the Monday off and uh, and then Monday turn into Tuesday and so on. But during lockdown, I oh, just got so lazy, you know, just, uh-huh. just keeping it really random times, sitting up late, doing things like that, you know, just, I know. Uh, and when I say late, I'm talking like three in the morning, you know, I would, it, it kind of occurred to me that if Boris was doing his, his dailies at five, and, and talking about the state of the, the planet, I thought, Donald Trump must be doing this, you know? So we get to 11 o'clock, and sure enough, Donald Trump's up and he's putting together it. Yeah, you know, all this <laughs> kind of stuff. We saw all the headlines, and, and it was great. It was great entertainment. He would just go up there and just destroy people. And um, and I got addicted to it, you know? So that was that was my lockdown for pretty much... Uh, <laughs> it still is, actually. Still do, I, I still, still some, some habits die hard. Well, I mean, your sleeping habits are probably all a sink anyway, you sort of hang out, just be obviously with the nature of what you do, and then obviously a lockdown, no having any kind of... Yeah, there's no pattern, because I don't, you know, I don't have to get up at nine and, and go to work and then, you know, do a, you know do the regular things. So they've always been out of whack, and I'm sure you're the same, you know, you, you kind of... I mean, before lockdown, I'd be cramming in as much as I could. So if I could do a gig at 11 and then do one at 2 or, and mm. finish at 6, I'd be driving home at 8. And then we're just absolutely done in, you know. Um, and this is it. This is the glamorous side that people don't see to what we do. But you are, you know, you're, you're doing 10 hours, 12 hours sometimes in the road, sometimes even longer. And it's just, it's an absolute killer. So... Yeah, it takes a few days to adjust, and then of course Monday morning, Tuesday morning, you've got the postman or some somebody like that just battering the door, and you're like, oh, just I'm sleeping. 
It's not even as if you're getting up for records or anything like that. <laughs> I don't exactly, no. It's, it's normally something really, um, really boring, mundane, you know. It's like it just has to be something that had to be signed for. But now, of course, it's hunting the parcel, you know. If, if something comes and it has to be signed for, you don't need to do that. You know, they just find a place in the garden. I and you send you a got, picture. Yeah, you know, and, and half the time you don't even get a picture. You're just in the garden uh, uh, looking under tables and or whatever whatever crap, you know, in the barbecue, whatever, whatever uh-huh. I've got out there. It's, uh, I'll find that normally they put it in the bin. Uh, I know they do uh, that as if that's going to sort it. I'll keep it dry. I And also, well, it may end up... Smells of fish or whatever. <laughs> I don't even eat much fish, but you know You never know. <laughs> Cat, cat, cats like fish, but you know, not me. Well, I do, I do like fish. That's a lie, but no, it's, it's the cats that, uh, yeah, make it smell. Nothing, nothing. I do, of course. Right, let's 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 get on track with this chat, right? And how I've been kind of doing them is just kind of starting at the beginning, kind of thing. You know, on your sort of journey, and and usually that question is, and it's the same I ask everybody: is like, what age were you? when you kind of became aware of music or, or sort of realised that music was something that took your interest? Yeah. Yeah, so, wow. Um, <laughs> God, you, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to go back to the 70s. I'm, I'm kind of showing my age here, but my, my uncle used to have a huge... He was a mad collector of records and he had the... You know, it was one of those walls when you go into people's houses and it was just all 12 inches and you're like... Whoa, what's this? So he would. I used to like police and madness and stuff yeah. like that. So he would he would go to record fairs and and buy um, he would buy doubles and then give them give them to me. So I had quite a, a, a hefty record collection by the the early eighties. But I never I never really had an interest in in keyboards or guitar. I love music. Always loved music. Uh, not not guitar. Sorry, keyboards, uh, pianos. But I wanted to play the guitar. And I didn't realise I wanted this funky electric guitar because it was all like nice colours and whatnot. So my mum got me for Christmas, but I didn't realise it came with an amp and and this this jack cable. I didn't know what this this jack cable was, you know. So I plugged it in and it's like, you know, just making an absolute <laughs> racket. And I tried some lessons and I hated it. Um, I kept getting sore fingers. You know, I was like, I don't know, I must have been like nine or ten, and then. Um, the next the next Christmas came and that was when I was like, Can I get a keyboard? You know, it was a little a Casio or a Yamaha uh-huh. would, it, would have been one of those. And she's going, you know, would you would you need this? You've already got the guitar. Uh, you, you're no you're, you're no listening you're no listening to and studied the guitar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the thing is I just really fell into it. And this this would have been the early early eighties. So I was kind of just copying anything I could. I was uh, you know, listening to chords and 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 just trying to copy the the bands and the 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 artists that I liked, and then of course the next Christmas I wanted another keyboard which is a little bit better, and I get the whole the whole oh, you're not getting it, and sh- you know before you know it, I'm 16 and I've got like three or four little kind of toy keyboards, and by the time um, I went to uni when I was uh, 17, 
went to study physics and I, I pretty much banged all my, my grant check and my well, <laughs> loan on, 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 stints, on proper, you know, real sense uh, to make uh, real music. And that's how it all, you know, I already had a kind of, a, a bit of knowledge. I couldn't, I can't read music. I couldn't read music, but I could, you know, I could work my way around the keyboard. Uh-huh. That's kind of where it all started. So yeah, probably 17, 18. Yeah. But what, what made you, put down the guitar and go I want a keyboard you know are you listening to maybe electronic music or oh yeah absolutely what's 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 making you kind of go I'm for some of that what yeah I mean the the thing was back in the back in the very late 70s early 80s a lot of the music was you know guitar with, with, with punks mods all that kind of stuff but there was also synths but synths were expensive really you know really out of out of your league kind of thing but then they started you know the things in the the early 80s it just started getting more and more popular and by the mid 80s you know house music and uh techno and stuff like that it all started coming and it's like i like this you know acid house and it's like how did they make these sounds you know And the more and more I listened to it, the more I wanted to make it myself. But it was never for it was never for public performance. It was just a hobby. Ah, just you know, something that you wanted to do. And yeah, I just wanted to sit in my bedroom and and mess around, and and the the hobby turned into an obsession. You know. Aye. I mean, we're the we're the kind of same age, aren't we? So like, top of the pops would have been our Good internet. Old was that? I'm older. Yeah, older. <laughs> I, I think we're a couple of days or something. We're both sitting, we're both sitting here with our glasses on. So I mean, we both can't see your fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> but something like, you know, Top of the Pops or was it the Tube? And stuff like that. You know, like, I think that was your sort of window into, you know, bands. Definitely. I mean, the tube kind of revolutionised a, a lot of things, and you would you would see the artists that you liked, not just kind of miming on top of the pops, but actually on there talking. Yeah. It was a bit random, you know. Um, you know the stuff that would would, would be going on, and uh, I don't know. It, it just it just kind of happened. It was uh, it must be nineteen ninety and uh, nineteen ninety ninety one something like that, and. I just got an opportunity and, and I asked to get a guy who was putting on an event and uh, I just said to him, here's one of my tapes, do you mind, uh, you know, having a listen? I wouldn't, wouldn't mind uh, having a live gig and, and he phoned me back the next day. He's like, yeah, brilliant. And I, Wicked. I was Is this in Cumbernauld? No, this was, in the, this was actually in the uni at uh, Glasgow Caledonia. That's where I was studying. Right. And um, the flyers were all over the, the, the walls. And uh, it was just called, it was called like the Mega Rave or something like that. And uh-huh. I was like, yeah, <laughs> there was nothing mega about it. You know? <laughs> it was just a student's union with, with like, uh, you know, 100 a people. Smoke machine. <laughs> yeah, a smoke machine, a couple of, couple of lights, you know. Yeah. Everybody sort of sitting fat, smoking fags and half pints of, uh, you know, snake bite and what, uh, whatever yeah. sitting around. You wouldn't get that these days. No, no, it's all venom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was that under the name Qtex or is this an early incarnation? It, of- it was actually, yeah. We, we started off with Qtex and, and we just continued with that. So how... It was, sorry, I guess you're going to ask how I came up with the name. <laughs> well, aye, that, my, my question was going to be, you've said you've went to uni and stuff like that, but you know, obviously just, we spoke kernels about all this, but just for people listening... 
how did you come up with the name and also wait, was it just yourself or was it how did you meet up with everybody else and you know so Q-Tex yeah how, how the band formed um, it was it was me and Big Gordon uh, Gordon Anderson we were we were studying in the same class and he was he was actually Ray Doth he had the he was into the the cure and all that kind of stuff the and and um, but we got really friendly but we were into kind of similar things like New Order and a guy called Gerald so mm-hmm. it, was, it was really weird you know we came from quite different backgrounds uh, musically but there was this kind of meeting in the middle so I bought my synth he bought his and then we we met Roger well Roger was actually Gordon's friend so we met Roger and then uh, we got in with Toad as well so there was the four of us so we were all kind of just doing our thing. I would, I would write some stuff. Gordon writes. Everybody would kind of put their own thing in. Yeah. And um, when this, when this moment came up, the mega yeah, rave. The, the mega <laughs> rave. Yeah. We're like, we're gonna have to come up with a name. Uh-huh. Big list. And it's actually a play in words. I'd been down to the the GMX in Manchester to see uh, 808 State and enjoy. Oh, wicked, wicked. Yeah. Was it, That'd have blow your yeah. mind. Just you know, we. we me and my mate, we got the bus down, uh, went to uh, Eastern Block Records. Um, just, it, it was crazy. It was so busy. People were off their faces in the middle of the afternoon. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I was used to getting into 23rd and 23rd Precinct in Glasgow was always brilliant, but Eastern Block was just nuts. And people are, you know, they were playing the music really loud and it was all the 808 State DJs that were in there. So people were having a party. And I think because the 808 State gig was on that night as well, people were already on it yep. so you know we went down for that did the gig and then got the bus home at 11 at night and it was absolute madness <laughs> <laughs> you know it was just well back so, lunch <laughs> yeah, yeah basically so, so we came up with this idea that we were going to play we used to call the the, the students union the G-Tech or the tech uh-huh. and it kind of started from there so we called it the GTEx, and then we're like oh that's interesting so we literally went through the alphabet ATEX BTEX CTEX we got to QTEX fortunately before RTEX <laughs> 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 but that it kind of stuck we were like you know when you come up with a name and you're like oh, I don't know if I like it but it stuck and, and then yeah that's so when you when you're saying you went through, is this like the four of you sitting as a as a group hashing ideas out, or are you? Are it, was, you... it was literally just me and Gordon. So right. we'd, we'd be sitting, we'd be sitting in a. Sorry, I'm just looking up, and it's the snow, and it's, it's snowing like mad. Um, yeah, sorry. Anyway, I I digress. Uh, we we would sit there, and it was before phones and texts and stuff like that. So you would be passing notes to each other in the in the class. In the class, it would be so boring, you know, and some kind of semiconductor physics or whatever. And and we were we were writing, jotting down all our ideas on this this A4 sheet, and that's how it happened. And we got back to the other guys, and they're like, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> we had a name, so. Uh-huh. And we were running out of time and, and we had this three week lead in to the, the gig and I, I I couldn't sleep. I was terrified for three weeks. It was it was it was kinda I kinda wanted to do it, but I kept wanting to phone the guy and say, mate, can I just uh, <laughs> just put this one off? Yeah. But just we just with nerves of playing your music for the first time 
because you were you're obviously doing it live back then as well, wasn't it? It was a full live setup, was it? It was completely live, and, and you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of bands, a lot of bands did play live back then. And one of the main reasons was I, I couldn't afford a DAT machine, mm-hmm. I couldn't afford the, a, t- a tape. So we could, uh, for those who don't know, digital audio tape. That's what that's what a lot of bands used. Uh, we couldn't play a backing track, so we would take everything, just move everything from the studio. So we had the computer, um, all the bits and pieces that we needed, and then you had the 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 fear of of something happening, a cable yeah. falling out, a, a, a keyboard falling off the stand, <laughs> things crashing, like that, somebody you know? knocking something. <laughs> Yeah, and people, you know, you would you would get a table or something, you'd put things on it, and then and then people would just you know walk up and sit their pints there, and you're like, oh, you know, and you're like, this is my, you know, you can't just go out and buy another keyboard because I'd put everything into my right. hand, every single penny. And I'm sure you're the same, you know. It's it's crazy, you know, crazy. What was the what was the sort of the first sort of keyboards and the first kind of setups? What Again, for any, just any tech heads listening to it, what, what was your kind of setup back then when you just started so, out? The first thing I bought was a, a Roland D10. Yeah. Um, it was kind of in the, the affordable range for me, um, which was about 600 quid. It's a lot of money. I mean, you can get, you know, plug in for your computer for whatever, you know, 20, 30 quid. Yeah. Do the same thing. And what, what was funny, you'll probably remember as well, a lot of the, the Yamahas and Roland whatnot that came out at the time, the sounds were terrible. They were like flutes and, and, and <laughs> panpipes and guitars, but they were really bad versions. Uh-huh. You know, the, I mean, when you think about, if, if you want to date right back to the 80s, and we'll talk about 808s and 909 drum machines, they're fantastic, everybody wants them, but they didn't sound anything like a drum kit, so yeah. no, they were flops. The same, same with the 303, you know, it sounded nothing like a... a you know, a, a bass uh, guitar. So <laughs> these things, that this, this is what they were producing though. But I managed to get the craziest sounds out of this thing and bleeps and blops and, and you know, nice uh, nice gritty sounds. So mm-hmm. that was kind of, that was the first thing I bought. And then when I could afford it, I ended up buying, um, it was an emulator, SP1200 sampler. Very nerdy stuff, but this, this, this is a kind of throwback to the um, hip hop era. They mm-hmm. were all using it, very crunchy, great sounding. Um, and I bought it at McCormick's. Remember McCormick? That's right. I up next to twenty third, wasn't it McCormick? Yeah, yeah, just up the street. We used to yeah. go to twenty third and then go up there. And they would, they would look at what you couldn't afford. Yeah, but the thing is, <laughs> you used to do things on on credit. You know, they'd, they'd give you it in tech oh, without yeah. any sort of IDs. So Background checks. Like every 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 Monday or Friday or whatever. It was, I think it was every Monday because it was after the weekend, and I'd go in there and pay them fifty quid or whatever uh-huh. I could afford. Uh, but uh, yeah, I ended up falling out with them because you know, obviously, um, never kept up my payments. <laughs> that, was, that was my first synth and sampler. And then what did I get after that? Yeah, do you know my, my main sequencer was actually my my Commodore Amiga. People <laughs> wouldn't know this is that it was an old gaming computer. Mm-hmm. You know, I went from the the Commodore uh, sixty four and ZX Spectrum to the Amiga, and you could buy this little MIDI interface. So when I got this MIDI interface, MIDI is just basically uh, how your your synths would all talk to each other. 
and that's how I, I would write all the music and uh, God, it was really primitive, but it was brilliant, you know. Mm-hmm. What what would take you a day now? It took you two weeks back then. But I know. It was, it was great fun. Was you know sequencing on your SP12? I thought you would have it. Maybe using I, that I, as a sequencer as well. I did actually. Um, when I got, because I didn't get that for another uh, two or three years, I think. Right. I, um, maybe maybe 92 I'm trying to think I started around about 90 91 so yeah 93 so I did sequence on that but if I, I sequenced on that I generally did everything on that so start to finish I would, mm-hmm. I would use that completely and I, I wouldn't use any other keyboards so um, you're, you're doing the mega it's funny though because when I, it still works I still switch it on well did you know tell me that you, you'd won it was broke or something like that because you dropped it or so, there was a story there, was there no? That was that, that was uh, when I fell out of McCormick's. <laughs> <laughs> the manager, the manager, Freddie. Do you remember Freddie? <laughs> he came out to the house and it was like the the hat. Collecting his like young, They were coming out to, to repossess the stuff, and I, I, I could see them. I could see them at the door, so I would never answer it. And and this went on for months and months. And then one day, my mum happened to be in. And she's invited them in for a cup of tea and whatnot, and it was a it was a crazy story. I mean, it's, it's, it's people might have seen it on YouTube. These two guys came in the house, and I, I've come downstairs. Scott, someone's in. I'm like, okay, went downstairs, and um, I, I actually had a box with oh god, it was some kind of rack mount. I can't remember, and it had and it also had my Amiga inside it. And then on top of that, I had the SP twelve hundred. It was all just sitting there in a the perfect pile. And these two pricks, honestly, uh, one grabbed the drum machine, ran out the back door, the other ran out the front door. I had a big long hallway with a front back door. Um, and they both ran out. And um, my mums went chasing the guy out the back and I went chasing the guy out the front. And it was all kind of handbags, but it wasn't really because we were kind of chucking punches at each other. Uh-huh. And um, I was like, I said to the guy, don't touch that box, that's my fucking computer, blah, 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 blah. Can I swear on this? Right? Of course I. I. I swear a lot, but I'm trying, I'm trying to tame myself. I was wondering. Yeah, he, he, yeah I know. He, he, ended, he ended up putting the box down, but um, the other guy got the sampler. So we ended up in a clinch out, out in the street. Now, the, the car park wasn't anywhere near the, the house. It was like a little bit of a walk. And we used to call these... these Bush, with all these bushes, we called them the jaggies. Mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> these horrific bushes with thorns. I uh-huh. don't know who invented them. Wasps like them and they're jaggy. Two reasons why never <laughs> to plant them. I've never seen them again. That's Cumberland for you. But um, yeah, they we ended up like gripping this thing. And then the other guy came running from the back because I, I lived at a, a kind of gable end. He's come running round. He's tried to get in in the action, grab it as well. My mum's come up from behind me, just shoved him straight into the jaggies. Brilliant. It was brilliant. He's he's in there. Ah. <laughs> it must have stung, man. It must have been sore. There's wasps and there's all sorts of crap in there. So me and this other guy, we're up in the car park, and we ended up. We must have walked, arguing face to face, like just mm-hmm. you know. Six inches apart, not not spitting at each other, but screaming but at each other, screaming so loud, there's just flame everywhere. Yeah, you weren't it, you weren't it, you fucking, ah, you're not gonna get it. Because actually, I'd, I had actually paid quite a lot of it, and I, I kept saying to the guy, "Listen, I'm going to pay it." I wasn't trying to 
be I, I knew it'd been a bit dodgy, but at the same time, you know, I was kind of skint, you know. We we all were we were all starting out. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm I'm halfway up the street, 200, 300 yards. We were fighting up the street, all the attention, all the neighbours out looking to see what's happening. My mum's up at the, the van, the McCormick's van, letting down the tires. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, she's the tires. Finally, this other guy's came up from the bushes, you know. I, I, it was funny, it was like a turtle on his back. He's just lying there. <laughs> and um, yeah we got to the top of the street they finally got the van going the wheels were all flat and everything but the vans <laughs> came up and he's like you want your sampler fucking take it and he smashed it on the floor Fuck. and um, that was it you know so I was kind of gutted he got up they, they drove away well they limped away because the tyres were all flat <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah but the thing was we had come into the house and I feel like okay they've been welcomed in but there'd been a fight in the house uh-huh. so I've ended up calling the police because they, they, they stole stuff nothing came of it we never pressed charges but um, the sample didn't work and it was uh, it was kind of gub to be honest it was um, it was all falling to pieces and it was only it was sitting like that for months and uh, Gordon Tennant of Suburb- Suburban Delay was uh, obviously good friends with him and and uh, he was, he was, despite me being into physics and electronics, he was he was really, really into it. And he's like, let me have a look at it. And he opened it up and it turned out it was just a, it was a stupid cable or something. It came loose, I plugged it in, things started working. It's like, here we go. And really? then uh, this, this took us up to like 93, 94. And then the magic happened, you know? Amazing. Golden so like, just during all that, you've done your gig at the Mega Raves Q, QTX. Yes. Is the gigs, again, it's just a word of mouth thing and you're trying to get shows and you're yeah. still writing music and all that. How's, how's that building? What other gigs are coming in? Because quite so, soon you put a record out on 23rd on Precinct, 23rd. didn't you? Yeah, on 23rd. So everything happened really quickly. Because uh-huh. um, even then, when you are saying to me in 1991, I was thinking, it's not like late 89 early 90s or something like that but it's yeah, I, think, I think it was I think it was March do you know it, it was like March 91 I'm trying to think it could have been 90 nah 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 because I, I, I passed my driving test in 1990 so it couldn't have been right it, was, uh, it must have been 91 because I remember driving and um, there was a it was on a Thursday night the mega rave was on a Thursday night and uh, there was this guy there um, Drew his name was and he's come up and he's like um, I can get a gig for you on, on Saturday if you want. It was like for 50 quid. I'm like, wow, getting paid. Uh, getting paid, getting actual money. And it was in Pizzazz in Bathgate. Did you ever play there? Now um, that you mention it, it rings a bell, Pizzazz. Cra- yeah, cra- crazy old club. And it was like, now I get a taste for it. I wanted to do it. So so we ended up going there. place was absolutely heaving. And the reason I remember it was, it was March was because clocks changed they went forward and um, as soon we we were actually on stage playing we used to split our sets into two halves so we'd already played the first half and we were in the middle of doing the second half and the clock struck one and it instantly turned to two and the police came in and just shut the place down <laughs> it was a total sweat box it was amazing we got our 50 quid and it was like wow we just split it up you know we took a tenner each and put a tenner on the bank put a tenner on the kitty Brilliant. and then as a result of that gig, we got a manager. I can't, I can't even remember the guy's name, but the gigs just started coming in thick and fast. 
And because we were in the right place at the right time, the rave scene just and its infancy really, blown up, really kicking it? off in '91. You know, Technodrome was in '91, was it? Is it? I think so. I yeah, yeah. So it must have been that same year. So everything just kicked off, and then same same again. I was always going to twenty third. I was always good friends with with all the staff. Took a tape in, done a Joe Deacon thing. Said, uh, you know, would you like to sell some tapes for us? You know, do, get a fiver. You know, to try, try <laughs> get the money. And then Billy Kilty, who who ran Twenty Third, phoned me and he's like, "Can we put a record out for you?" I'm like, "You kidding? You know, we were never looking for a deal. Never, uh-huh. never looking for anything." And um, before you know it, th- this thing had come out by by summer '91, and Pete Tong's playing it. Uh, I, I, I remember Pete Tong playing it, and I was just holy fuck, man! And I, what made me excited about it is, you know, I think he said something like straight out of Glasgow or something like that. Because I, I, I used to tape like everybody else, Pete Tong. I even said co-winning, which was you know because did you say co-winning as everybody, well? Everybody, everyone was from co-winning except me. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was from someone else. You might have Glasgow, but a lot of times it was like uh, this band Qtex from Cowan, and I'd be like, "Fucking Glasgow!" You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, I remember, yeah. I remember being chuffed because it was like Scottish guys on Pete Tong with a record. Was it the yeah, question so EP unusual. or something like? Was it something like? We never did that. It was always the Prodigy, and, yep. and then Joy were massive, and uh, you know a lot of eight eight eight, a lot of bands like that. Who it was were, all music for down south, wasn't it? Yeah, it was all down south, and and they were all they were all coming up with stuff that was brilliant. And ours was all right; it was a bit basic, but it was it was it was one of those moments, you know. You, you're pressing record and play on your your uh, your ghetto blaster, <laughs> making sure you've got a copy. I'm sure I've got a copy somewhere up the loft, but I don't know. I must have been it? some buzz for you, you know. Like- Get, I mean, even just now, Pete Tong played somebody's t- your end tune or whatever. You build the fucking moon. But back then, being just a young guy, your first record that you put out was it a, was a full track EP 18, or something? Eighteen years old, first uh-huh. record, and and it had been out. You know, it'd only been out like two or three weeks, and then amazing. it was in the um, essential selection or whatever. It was amazing. And did you just think you've made it? Like, that's fucking, that's, you know, my job here is done. You think, I'm never, it's never going to get any better than this. Uh And then, you know, as time goes on, the gigs kept coming in and and think, you know, we, we, as Qtex, we started getting a a big name for ourselves. And then, like you with Ultrasonic, you know, you guys, when you came along, it kind of snowballs, you know, and and then we ended up creating our own scene in Scotland, you know, we, we, all right, we'd still bring up the, the enjoy and whatnot. But we had our own scene. Ah, uh, Scotland so, definitely had its own scene. You're right, aren't you? Scotland had a huge scene. You know, yep. there was TTF, there was us, Use, there was a QFX, Bob and Delay, uh, Rhythmic State. Called, I, I could go on and on. There's mm-hmm. there so many bands, and um, there was clubs every weekend. There'd be like five, six, seven yep. things going on, all parts of the country. You know, from Ayrshire to Dundee, Glasgow, Aberdeen, whatever. Inverness. Yeah, there used to be like two all nighters every, just about every other weekend. Yeah, like, it was crazy. I mean, it was you can't think of it now. I think of it now, but it was it was just unbelievable, and uh, the work was just non-stop. And the good thing was, I had a, I had a driver at the time. We hired a guy to drive everywhere, so I could I could go into the back of the car and uh, and have a kip. Right. What did you all meet? So by this time, you're doing more and more gigs. Was it was it getting organised as in? Not like so much a tour van or whatever, but did you all meet and everybody travelling in one car or are you just all getting there individually? We're, 
Yeah, we were going individually at first, and then um, Toad he'd this big orange transit. I'm sure. Have you seen the big orange transit that used to have? Sure. He'd this big transit van. So we used to stick everything in the back of the transit van, and some of us would go in that, and then some would go in somebody else's car. But as time went on, you know, over over the years, we started hiring minibuses, especially when you were going to. Um, like Belfast or, or something, you know, when you were going to Northern Ireland, you would you would really have to go together, uh-huh. and that's that's when the it was like the tour bus, you know, all the all the madness would happen, you know. Was it kind of like I mean, we could talk about however much you 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 mentioned Scott, but because I know we've spoke about it, but was it like pressures or um. I don't know. You, 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 you get some kind of drive in you to keep trying to do more or whatever. Then you know how Roger and kind of and QTEX are part of companies. Yeah. How, how is that coming about through? I don't know. Continually try to push the band forward and want everybody focus on the same thing. Or you know, do you want to talk about that? Or, or yeah, is I mean, it just kind of ran its course? It's actually quite simple. I mean, it was just a case of there was a four of us and. I, I tended to be writing an awful lot of stuff and, and we've spoke about it before, how prolific I was during the 90s. Um, and I, I wanted everyone to be part of the band, you know, and I just wanted it to be a, a collective thing rather than me doing everything and and everybody benef- benefiting from it. Um, and I don't know, yeah, things happen, you know, and yeah. we parted ways, you know, and in and, 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 and the end, the whole band, the Qtex disbanded. If you like, you know, I, I kept the, the flag flying. Yeah. Did you did you want it. it to be? Did, did you enjoy it at this early days? Are you enjoying just that comfort of being in a group environment? Can kind of hang? Is it more like just being on the road with your mates that you were enjoying? Yeah, you were you were going out your, with your mates. Um, I'd take my mates. The, the other guys would all take the, the, their mates. I mean, our guest lists were crazy. There was four of us in the band, and, and we'd have like twenty people. Yeah. <laughs> They're all a wee bit mental, you know. So you know, if you were getting free drinks or anything, bye bye. You know, <laughs> I would never. I would never drink with anything. I was always, always straight. I was always driving. So your mates are all getting wrecked, and yeah, it was great. They're holding the night. You, you're stressing about the gig. Totally stressing. Yeah, exactly. So as as time went on, you know, by '94, '95, we we started getting a bit more professional, and we we hired guys to be to do tour management and set uh-huh. up what's up so that we could sit backstage and just stress about everything. You know. Yeah. You can't stop stressing. I know. But so Roger sort of left, and Roger and I ended up hooked up with yes. doing the ultrasonic thing. And, and we spoke about this as well. And what I thought was brilliant that you said to me, um, there was that competition element yeah. there. You know, we were all trying to outdo each other, and you know. We were, you know, I guess we were all kind of maybe a wee bit childish on on the way we, we, we treated each other, maybe or something. But well, I remember you saying, "Guys, you know," and it's it's aye, what you do, you know. There'd aye. be a lot of jealousy, and at the same time, we're like, "Oh, we're better than them," uh-huh. and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. But I remember <laughs> you said to me, you know, um, that you, you said when when you thought about it. I don't know if you remember, but it was, it was a conversation we had, and you said you felt that it was actually good for the scene that there was all that rivalry because we just Absolutely, pushed yeah. each other on. And I had never thought about it until we had said it. You know, it was some, it's something just says something and it just strikes a chord. And I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I mean, for all the bickering and the, you know the horribleness 
I think the punters probably got the best out of it because they get the best out of all the yeah. bands. Because well, at first it was like it was like Qtex and TTF, we were the big rivals. Then we kind of got friendly. Then you guys came along, and then and then the rest of the the bands. You know, there was so many bands. Every, everyone it was high level of competition, and it, it really it really kept us. You know, trying to try to up our game every yep. time. Whether it was from from writing the best music to trying to see, trying to look the best on stage. Yep. Um, it, it really did create a, a phenomenal scene, you know. When when do you think, or when do you feel, or when did you feel that Qtex was at its peak and most powerful kind of thing? Because I'm sure everybody, you know, sometimes fans are more aware of than what you actually are. But like, you know, like, I remember seeing photographs where it was Roger that showed me pictures. I think he's done a gig in Botanical Gardens in Glasgow, and then there's oh, obviously yeah. some big graves and stuff like that. And yeah. When did you um, feel like the QTX were unstoppable? It was like at the peak. I don't know. I mean, it kind of it, it kind of went on for years. To be honest, yep. I mean, after, after the the single, it was just one thing after another. The botanical gardens thing. I actually forgot about that. That was that was mad. It was like I mean, you know, playing in a big greenhouse mm-hmm. with, with plants everywhere, but ravers everywhere. It was an afternoon thing as well. But yeah, I mean, you know, we started getting things like Technodrome and Earthquake and all those all those gigs. And then the label wanted to go more for, for charts. So we were getting put into crazy studios, really expensive, like the Roundhouse in London. We were spending uh, months at a time in there recording and it, it just kept going on. And then there was one day I had, I had this big... Motorola phone it was was that Motorola <laughs> I had I had, had that I traded it and I'd, I'd downsized to that Nokia thing it was still huge and I remember being in the roundhouse and um, it was a withheld number but I don't think we actually had caller ID it was just like phones ringing mm-hmm. you know um, you couldn't do much in the phones back then and um, it was John Peel and and he's you know he's got an unmistakable voice and I'm like fuck off you know <laughs> he's, he's like no no it's me he's like no no it's me he's like I've, I've got a couple of your um, white labels I've been playing them because he had been playing the stuff on, on his show and he's like I want you to do a Peel session and that's this must have been amazing and that was that was another big thing for me and at the time I was getting you, you guys were getting a lot of German gigs I was getting a lot of Dutch and I think we were all doing Switzerland and Austria and all that it just just kept going on then Australia was coming in and uh-huh. so did you do a peel session I did do a peel ah, session amazing yeah. man yeah yeah um, I actually asked asked them if um, if I could release it but uh, BBC got a bit funny about it so because um, I, I think it was their copyright or something uh-huh. um, some I don't know, to get. I thought I'll just I'll just avoid it, but yeah, it's still. I've so still was it done in a BBC studios or was it his farm or something? Like that? Did, where did you go to well, do that? I actually recorded that because I asked the same thing. I was like, do, "Do you need me to come in to the studios?" And he's like, "Just uh, just do it at home and, and send the data." Uh-huh. And um, and that's how that's how it happened. Brilliant. So um, by this time, are you taking on most of the workload for producing music for QTX? At that time, you... with prop, yeah, I was I was doing a lot of the music, but I, I was doing so much music it was just too much mm-hmm. for the band alone. So that was why I started branching out and I started doing other things under my own name. And then I, I started Evolution Records 
for the, for that reason as well, you know, because I'd I'd been going, I'd been putting records out with Bass Generator Records, Shoop, um, Dwarf, you know, some of the Dutch mm-hmm. labels. Excel podcast. Just because and, uh, you were creating far too much music for twenty third to release as Qtex. Yeah, exactly. I was getting up in the morning and and ten o'clock it was like bam, 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 you know, and and then. You know, I, I was just loving it so much. And this would go on to, oh God, my neighbours hated me. Mm-hmm. The guy used to come to the door all the time, banging the door. Fucking turn that down. You, know? <laughs> you don't <laughs> understand, mate. You don't understand. You, you, <laughs> you know, when you, you, you're right and then you start off and you're, oh, I'm going to have a quiet day, but by the t- by nine o'clock, it's like quite up to full, you know. And um, it was just so much stuff. So evolution was a good way for me to, to get more and more music out there and actually I kind of created a monster with myself because I became bigger than the band in, in many ways and it was cheaper to book me than it was to book the band mm-hmm. so that didn't go down too well with, with a lot of the other guys and I started getting crazy gigs I had to stop I had to cancel a lot of Qtex things because I was in Holland or, mm-hmm. or France or, or Spain or whatever and uh, yeah that was taking money away from the, the band you know so a lot of things like that didn't get down too well. Uh-huh. Um, it caused a lot of sort of in-house bickering and stuff like that, or be arguments. Yeah, and stuff. it did. It did cause a lot, of, a lot of resentment, you know. And I could see it, you know. When I look back, yeah, I can see that. But that's just the way it was going. You know? I think um, when you're again, it's, you're probably six months a year into it before you even gave it a second thought because you're just riding the wave, aren't you? You're like taking the bookings and yeah. Wait, you're, you're obviously people are booking you that's you branching out as a DJ isn't it is that yeah, something absolutely. that quickly came about or is that something you'd always been doing on the side or no re- I, I couldn't actually DJ I, 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 even though I used to always buy vinyl I, I never used to it was never I actually found it quite boring mm-hmm. to be honest um, I would I would turn up at gigs and even you know I'm talking about the nerves of doing the live performance but actually a lot of that was excitement as well mm-hmm. and, and I would look at DJs and I would think God, that looks so boring you know just putting one record on then putting another one on and putting another one to be honest DJing's great you know I'm not you know it's <laughs> even like CDs and USB sticks and whatever it's still great but that that buzz of performing and that the crowd being yours for that half hour or mm-hmm. whatever I mean you, you really can't whack it you know it's it, it was great but so- you know, when a lot, a lot of time when bands break up, they, they kind of go their own ways. Maybe they they think different. Uh, they've got music different musical directions. So, let's say it was me and you that were in a band. You know, I'd, I'd end up going playing harder stuff. You might go and play uh, whatever. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when when Qtex split, it kind of kind of just ended up being me doing my own thing. Um, the other guys. I don't, I don't really know you know well it was a bit of a fallout so we never <laughs> do you still keep in touch with the guys is, is everything on talking levels at least or is it just a, we, we were, everybody's doing the thing yeah we were definitely off the Christmas card list for a while mm-hmm. um, it, it was just a, it was all very sudden I mean it was kind of coming but when it happened it was like oh didn't see that one coming um, right. even though we did um, we didn't speak <laughs> we didn't speak for the longest time but in the 2000s we all kind of started talking and uh-huh. yeah we, we, we'll still speak occasionally but it's uh, it's one of those things everyone moves on and I, I, th- I think it's just a, everybody in, who's had any experience in this and this is we've all had our ups and downs and our fallouts and all that and, oh, and I yeah. think maybe with the 
Time's a great healer, isn't it? Even yeah. us, you know, look how long it took us to speak, you know, and then we're, we're, we can laugh about some of the madness back yeah. then. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember really one of the first times I spoke to you was with uh, David Forbes and Sound Control. And um, I guess you you two guys were doing your thing. Mm-hmm. This was it must be must have been the late nineties or the early two thousands. I can't Aye. remember. But um, he came in and I, it's, I was good friends with him. But you know, then I saw you and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then because um, we had a lot of mutual friends talking. as well, didn't we? That was a yeah, yeah. Thing about I, it. I remember I remember saying something to you that, like you know I always thought you were a wee bit of a prick, but you're all right. <laughs> 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 it's something like that. <laughs> <laughs> something like that oh man but it's times times an amazing healing you, know, you look back and it's like you know some of the madness that went on but they were good days you know uh-huh. good times aye good times I mean just what I was going to ask you earlier about one of the things that I always really respected you about is right early doors you switched on to starting your own label and I, I yeah. don't know. Did you see the bullshit and the, the the industry side of things? And just went, I'm doing this myself. Or yeah, absolutely. Their label. So I'm um, with without na- naming any labels. Um, I was getting ripped off all over the place. Yep. So I was I was just putting out tons of stuff, and maybe ten records in, I realised, and I'm talking records, you know, twelve inch vinyl. Um, I realised I was selling thousands, and I was getting nothing, and I was skin, you know, mm-hmm. um, and trying to pay bills and stuff you know and it's I'd, I'd decided you know by this time I was already out out of uni and uh, I was still living at home and I'm like this is ridiculous you know and then one one particular label weren't, weren't getting paid the, the guy who was managing the label just didn't have a clue really and he was getting messed around by the, the distributors and it, it just they were saying all oh, the checks in the post and they kept saying, oh, okay, okay. So I'd phone him and I'd be like, dude, where's the money? And they'd be like, oh, the checks in the post that's coming up. And I'm like, this is a crock, you know? So mm-hmm. I've ended up contacting the distributors directly and I flew down, it was uh, Delta at the time. And I flew down to London, maybe, I don't know, 94, something like that, 93. And um, we had a big meeting and they were like, why don't you just set, set up your own label? And I'm like, can I do that? You know, I didn't know what yeah. I was doing. Well, I was going to say, are you feeling comfortable in that position? Because you're still a young kid. You're yeah, going to London to talk to music guys and all that. I know exactly, exactly. And and I'm getting I'm getting a flight down there at, at, at like seven in the morning. This the the it wasn't the shuttle shuttle. What did they call it, man? They, they had a name for it, but it was it was just a plane. You, you know, cup of tea on the BA flight. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and I had the, the crumpet with the jam, and everything. It's, it's like I'm just watching everyone. Everyone's sitting there in suits and all done up, and I'm sitting there in my jeans, and I'm like, I, I should not be here. And then going into Heathrow and then getting the subway and, and going down to Wimbledon. That's where they were based. And and it kind of all started from there, and they were they were telling me how it would all work, and and uh, I'm like okay, and that's that's when things really started happening, and then Delta went bust, <laughs> and it owed me a lot of money. And that, that was the mother one. I mean, go through like um, distributors when they then <sighs> they could swallow thousands and thousands of pounds of your money all the time. I mean, every, every single band has got a story of some distributor going, going bust on them. Yep. So I ended up with Alpha Magic, who also went bust, and, and then it was somebody else. But, you know, the, 
it was all in place. I knew what was happening. I, I get, I went down to the uh, the processing plants. I could see the vinyl getting made. Done the whole tour, you know. So it was, it was, Brilliant. it was actually really interesting. You know, it was quite eye opening. And as as a 21, 22 year old, it was like, this is this is unbelievable. Running uh-huh. my own label, making more money, doing everything from, from you know. I didn't even do music at school. You know, it's just as mad as it is. Aye. I mean, are you are you just? What kind of years that, and, and, and is that you feeling totally comfortable, like in control, because you're running your label, you're putting the tracks out, you're DJing, you, you're still doing QTX gigs, as, you know, you're... Yeah. When when are when are the other sort of projects blowing up, you know, because you've got loads of other sort of names that I guess were... Yes. You know, getting getting really good attention and all that. Has that happened through your label, or is this stuff you're getting to other people, or...? It was... Yeah, it was a kind of bit of both, you know, because uh, a, a lot of people, I was getting a lot of demos in because people knew Evolution had, had got such a good name um, that people were just waiting for the next Evolution to come out. And I think that was why I was so productive as well, because I was a kind of one-man band and I was just wanting to do it all on my own. Yeah. Um, so it was just like, get another thing done, get another thing done. My, t- my target was always like, get... I mean, back then, we used to do four trackers, you know, it'd be two on the A side two on the B side so you're trying to get four tracks done my aim was to get something out every month mm-hmm. but then the demos started coming in the demos were great so that was why I started the, the sort of offshoot labels some of which done brilliant some some not so brilliant mm-hmm. but it was um, it was a, it was a little mini empire that I was running from my bedroom but you know I ended up in a, in a place where I could afford a car and then I managed to get my own place and stuff yep. like that. This was like the mid-90s. I know the hard work's paying off, isn't it? That's really where you're at. It's 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 paying off now. I mean, luckily there's, you know, when, when vinyl died and then CDs died, it was like, God, what am I going to do now? But, you know, the, the MP3 market and streaming and stuff, it's not brilliant, but it's it's through lockdown especially, it's it's been a bit of a life lifesaver, you know? Especially when you've got such a big catalogue as well. Yeah. You know, it's still just like half a dozen tracks you've got there, you know, I, I, I don't even know how many tracks. I, I, I don't even know how many is there. It's, it's hundreds and hundreds. See, but everything... Everything's all accounted for, so it's uh, yeah. When you, what would you say would be? Was there a time when you felt you were at your peak, or you know, like, because I, I always think there's a, a wee moment in whatever project you're in, you go fucking, I'm on it, I'm on it right now. Was there a point when you felt you were on it with your label kind of thing, or a, a, a particularly good year, or? Well, in in general, um, probably the year when when we released the Power of Love with Qtex, I mean, we we saw that chart. It, it charted. Uh, it didn't chart high, but it, it charted high in Scotland. But it, it was a it was a grower. You know, it just kept selling it and selling and selling. We ended up selling something like forty thousand units. Mm-hmm. Absolutely crazy. And that was, you know, when we were doing the live live performances. Whenever that came on, it was just crazy. Everyone was singing it, and you're like, it's just, it's just not going to get better, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been there has been a, a few moments, but that was like one of the first moments that was I was like, wow, you know, just, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. And that was I think that was maybe the first CD I released as well, which was a a big a big thing, aye. 
big landmark, you know. It's like I've actually got a CD, you know. How can I frame that and put it in my wall? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How can I get this thing gold? <laughs> <laughs> what about your first international gig? When did that come about? Because that's always a mind blower. I think when you get that first, because it's yeah. like you broke out Scotland or the UK, and it's it seems like wow, this the music's reached even further. Yeah, that the first. Uh, foreign event I had was in Utrecht at the Central Studios it was a Dance to Eden or something like that it was called thousands and thousands of people the thing was I was used to resurrections and, and large scale events like that mm-hmm. so it, nothing sort of fazed me but um, going over there and and you know the Dutch have got the, the gabble dance or whatever they, they call it something but I, I remember them all dancing I'm like this, this is crazy Did you see it for the first time it's mental isn't it for the first time in the way they're all dressed and everyone's wearing Nike they're all wearing these these tracksuits the, uh, the the brand's Australian I think they're Italian uh, the company but that was that was nuts you know being flown somewhere put up in a nice hotel Um you know, I was there all night, and, and, and that was the first night I met guys like Paul Elstack and DJ Panic, and that they were they were there, and they were going through their record boxes and were picking out all the. Look, I've got I've got your music here. This is yours, and and must have been like, some they, boys. They were fascinated to meet me, and I, at the same time, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't get better, doesn't get much better. And then the next after that, I think was Nightmare in Rotterdam. That was a few months later, and then. The form Mayday, you done Mayday as well, uh-huh. didn't you? Uh, that was my first sort of form gig. I couldn't believe forty thousand people in the velodrome, and I was just like, yeah. "What the fuck is this?" Absolutely And then the Swiss get into it, the Austrians. It was just absolutely unbelievable, just yeah. crazy. And the thing was, it wasn't DJ, it was it was Qtech. So we were taking flight cases. I get them on flights. You know, I don't know what the luggage allowance was, but I'll tell you what, we must have been taking like 200 kilos or something. But we get caught out one time, we were coming back from, um, I think we were coming back from Austria or something like that. And some some sharp-eyed, you know, normally we'd just check it in, they just label no. it, and uh, some sharp-eyed guy, sharp-eyed guy was like um, you're a bit over the limit you know and uh, <laughs> you like really what <laughs> yeah woo, woo. no 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 never like, happened before you know, just trying to come up with every excuse but <laughs> yeah we get, we get hit with 200 quid which uh, I don't think is actually that bad considering um, that's the only time it ever happened actually mm-hmm. Um, after that, we we started saying, "Can you get his keyboards? Can you just Aye. get get stuff over there?" But God, we had everything flight cased. Everything, I mean, everything was flight cased. Absolutely, everything was flight cased, custom built because we were going down to London. So you know, flight cases, people won't know this, but they're for, they, they're extortionate, Aye. you know, especially and heavy as fuck as well. <laughs> heavy, the custom made ones. I mean, we we used to go in and we would all like grab a couple of cases and just. We'd go in in the afternoon for a sound check or whatever. You know, in, in the later days, uh, I'm talking like three, four years ago. I mean, now I can take a computer in and, and do it all off of that. But I would t- I would have still have one master keyboard and, and it'd be sitting there and I'd be there with my mates and everyone's looking at it. It's like, who's going to pick it up? I'm not picking it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think... But, yeah, the, the, it's foreign gigs and then... You know, getting faxes at five in the morning yeah. from Australia 
and you're like sure like handwritten faxes you know because you couldn't phone because it was like a pound, pound 50 and, a minute and email was in its infancy as well wasn't it I remember faxing yeah. people to ask if they got your email did you ever yeah. do that and emails were really obscure as well because uh-huh. it was all tied into whatever company you were, were with. You didn't own your own uh, domain name, a little, well, not not for a while anyway. Uh-huh. So it was all obscure emails with with you know something that dot some dump something dot dot dot. You know, but uh, yeah, I think I, it, it was it's just one of those times that the 90s in general were until until the scene kind of imploded in the late 90s it just seemed to get better and better and better and, and it uh, did. it's like how, how's this is it ever going to end and the thing is you, you didn't think it was going to end you, you just thought it was always going to I think because we were so young you're just you'd never really think didn't know anything else aye that's just like it's, you, don't, I don't even, you could even go this is going to last forever because you never even thought that either it was just like no, next weekend next weekend Yep, and it was gig after gig, and then when Rez went bust, what year was it? Ninety seven. Well, one of the things I was going to ask because you've then you know, for your gigs at Rez, you did like a Rez soundtrack album stuff like that, didn't you? Like, yeah, back back in the the awakening. The awakening, uh, aye. Uh, was it ninety four or ninety five? <laughs> I can't remember. Mid nineties. Bit of dementia, um, but yeah, I mean, we we had a I had a good uh, rapport with the guys that ran Rez, so. They they did the video and I did the album and we agreed just to not bother, you know, distributing to each other. I would keep the the album money and they would keep the video money and mm-hmm. that's like enough. And uh, good old Paul Martin, you know, he's out there, still out there, you still know, out there living the dream, absolutely blazing, filming everything. What a legend! Um, I, I think a lot of it was a lot of the videos that you see on on YouTube or whatever's kicking about. He's he's responsible. Uh, he's behind the camera, isn't he? His collection is unbelievable. I remember going to his house and he's got everything. Just he used to just film everything. I I, I remember um, I was at Presswood Airport when they used to do Eurodance there. Mm-hmm. Was filming, I think it was filming the Prodigy, and uh, was it Mike Champion, the manager? He he came up. He was actually looking in the crowd because no one had phones filming, but there was this one guy at the back with the, the camera and the, the light and everything on. And so you get the big tap on the shoulder, and the the hand over the lens, switch this off now, you know. But uh, yeah, with the good thing going with Rez and that all happened and then the Rez anthem I, I, I did that and then uh, yeah it was a shame the way it happened because I mean did you just numbers, fold through money money worries or what was it no the, the, the numbers had been declining but it was mm-hmm. all to do with um, Talk To people might not remember Talk To they're a bit like Ticket Scotland or you know one That's of right, the yeah. one of the companies Ticket like Outlets and, yeah one of, one of the things so you used to go into um Try to think of one of the shops, somewhere like Fort or maybe 23rd Precinct, buy all your tickets there. But talk to the, the women, I believe the women who, who owned the company, there, there was about four big concerts on that weekend and she just disappeared. She embezzled all the money. Is that right? She's just done a runner with the money, ticket done money. A runner and um, I remember getting the phone call on the, on the sort of Monday, Tuesday after all this happened and pretty much in tears, like, that's resurrection's done. Can't do any more. We've got something like 120 grand of debt. Um, we can't even pay the police, ambulance, sound guys. I mean, we'd been paid some on the night. They owed they owed us some uh, VAT money, something like that. So that's why I was I was still in the um, 
you know, with the liquidators mm-hmm. when they send you all, out all the stuff. So when all the paperwork come in, I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh my god. You're seeing all the what's uh, odd to who and whatnot. Seeing, yeah, seeing who was old what, and and it was uh, it was it was a sad day. And then after that, you know, because a lot of clubs like the Metro and the Fubar and so many others, they were all kind of feeder clubs for the big events. Mm-hmm. And when the big events stopped, a lot of people just lost interest. And um, what would have been big at the time? All the super clubs started coming well, about. I, it, there was a couple of years, I, I, I was like, I think nobody really knew what was happening. And then the super clubs started to yeah. come about. But even, I'm, I'm sure, well, I don't know how you felt at that time, but at that time, I was kind of quite lost what I was wanting to do musically. Because I was thinking, am I going to go then trans? Because I was kind of liking I, some of that. I was going to say, I mean, can you still hear me? Sorry, you just glitching there, right? Sorry, cool. Uh, you can maybe cut that bit out later. All right. But, uh, no, it was the same. You know, it was it was like, what am I going to do? Because records weren't selling. Um, England, the raves had all kind of died the death as well. I don't know why. Maybe just the music had got a bit tired. I Who think knows? just a big sea change in the music, really, wasn't it? It's was just yeah. And the same thing happened in Holland as well, and I, I could see it across Europe. You know, there was there was different new music was coming in, more more sophisticated, and uh, people just started moving, moving with the times. And I was I was kind of trying to do do different things. And God, for a good two or three years, I was in the, the wilderness, just mm-hmm. not knowing what to do. Try to find a new style that you, you enjoyed or suited yeah. you. Exactly, and I started seeing around about 2000, maybe 99, 2000, I started the Dutch, I mean, they they were going out of control with their speeds, way, way above 200 BPM, and I think it was just getting too much, and I don't know who it was, or maybe it was a, a collection, maybe they had a meeting, you know, with, with the producers, but it ended up, they slowed the music right down, I mean, way slower than, back, back to like 1990 speeds, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 130, 140, 150, some, some stuff so slow. And it but was still the hard, harder sound, but they've slowed it right really, down. Really, really hard, really a lot of aggression, but uplifting as well. And I thought, I'm going to have a stab at this. This must have been 99, 2000. And then it all kicked off again. Mm-hmm. I started getting gigs in Holland. And then, yeah, I'd I, I moved down to England by this point. And um, the gigs just started going crazy. In Scotland, I don't really know what happened in Scotland. There was there was the occasional old school thing. Um, I think more like inside out, and the techno tech trance thing was really techno as well. Was kind of happening in Scotland, yeah. kind of thing, wasn't it? That's it. Uh, yeah, and um, I mean, there's always been a lot going on on in England. Garage was, was huge at the time. Drum and bass was always big, um, but I don't know. Hardcore kind of had a revival, and then. Luckily enough, I was still banging stuff out on Evolution and records that, that had been writing during that, that state of limbo in the, the late 90s, um, people started picking up on it, but they couldn't get it anymore because, uh, you know, the vinyl had ran out and, mm-hmm. and I couldn't, it's not that I couldn't afford the repress. Maybe I, I'd lost the, the masters uh, or the, probably the distributors went bust on me. That's, that's more than likely. <laughs> but they went bust the metal masters went missing the mm. metal masters basically in, in layman terms there's just two plates you know you get a bit of plastic in the middle and it just presses it and, and there's your vinyl so a lot of metal masters went missing but 
Yeah, for me, the the, the start of two thousands, crazy times as well. Yeah. Would you have said during that time was? I mean, maybe maybe you never had that, but was there ever a time you just kind of thought, "Ah, oh, fuck it, this isn't for me anymore. I need oh, to get absolutely. a real job." Or was oh, yeah, was you kind of lost I, in that wilderness for I, a wee I, bit? I wrote I wrote CVs up, sent it off to all kinds of companies. You know, I thought, well, I've got I've got some. I don't have a, a lot of experience. I've got a light a lot of life experience. I've got mm-hmm. a lot of experience i mean if you look at running out a record label yeah i mean you could call that management i don't know but yeah there was not many replies put it that way <laughs> <laughs> and there was no there was no jobs and i thought yeah i'll, I'll go back to doing anything you know because I, I just wanted to start making money and i thought i've had my i've had my my light my i've yeah. had my time that's really what it felt like right. i mean because there was some Mega highs, you know what I mean? Like your res or Q-Tex thing, the label, also like the bonkers thing. That was fucking Bonker. a that game changer as well, that, wasn't it? That was another thing for me in the, in the 2000s. I mean, I think... Was, was that a 2000s thing, Scott? Was that an old started, tail end of It started in the 90s with Hicks right. and Sharpie, but I get involved uh, in the 2000s and that was another thing. It just it just went crazy. And people, you know, people are bonkers daft. You know, they... Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they collect them. They want them all signed. I don't know how many how many have signed. Um, people buy them still with the cellophane just to keep them. You know, yeah. um, I've got a few myself. I have to say. <laughs> so did that? Did that? Was that like early two thousands? And then that's kind of reinvigorated you. Or yeah. charged you up again for like early two thousands kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Regenerated. Uh, Regenerated. That's all them. And uh, yeah, yeah, and then I started, I started doing mixing some al- albums in in Holland and stuff like that. So all, all those gigs started again. Um, and then I, I had a deal with a, a company in Spain. So every time I released something on Evolution, they would release the exact same thing in Spain. It was very strange because you could get both both records uh-huh. uh, in in either country. Uh, so people would buy both, you know, because the, the labels look different or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've got a few doubles or triples myself, just purely because, uh, you know, there's maybe a track different or maybe there's a bit of artwork different, you know, just when you're a fan, you're a fan, you know. You just Have you things. kept most of your releases? Because I've gave pretty much all my records away and I wish I'd kept them. Have you? Oh, man, I, do you know, I've got rid, I get rid of so much stuff because when, when vinyl died basically it's like I had so much stock because I used to keep a lot of stock myself um, and it was like what am I going to do and I actually dumped a lot of it uh-huh. uh, I've done the same as you makes me cry man you know I used to, I remember going to the dump and, and just getting boxes rid of in the fucking skit yeah and in a box would be like 30 was it 30 vinyl something like that and yeah, just chucked them all in, get rid of all the the, the shelving that I had for it. And um, but I, I did keep two or three of everything. Mm-hmm. So I do. I think I've got most. Some I kept more of because I know that they're worth a bit more money. Mm-hmm. But um, I do. I still don't know if I ever sell them. But um, yeah, I think I've still got yeah one or two at least. Which well, you, I'd imagine it's still quite a big fucking collection. <laughs> Yeah, it's still a bit crazy, but some, side I mean, of the house is just kind of slant them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> subsidence over there, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kept a lot of things like uh, just picture discs, things like that. A lot mm-hmm. of the Bonkers albums I never get rid of. Uh, just yeah, things that I knew that'd be at some point someone's going to be like, 
kind of get hold of that or mm-hmm. whatever who knows but yeah it's, it's nostalgia as well you know uh, I, mean, I still get a few of the copies of the very first Qtex Equator AP you know things like that I, I still kept it and a lot of things uh, a lot of white labels as well brilliant uh, and so special the, special releases the bonkers kind of thing is blowing up and I think did you start you were doing stuff with is it all around the world is that a more a commercial you, a yeah. at charts kind of I'm just trying to kind of work out what, where you're going next or you know maybe you can tell us where, where was the next step after bonkers because you, you get a lot of things going at once or are you well the, it's, it was a funny thing because yeah all around the world I mean um, they they did um, they put out so much stuff all the Flip and Phil stuff mm-hmm. and Cascada and a lot of chart stuff um, and they were always asking me to, to do a, a commercial track and I've done a couple um, low, low charted. They didn't top 40, but, you know, we still done some videos. But a lot a lot of the stuff I did for them was actually remixes, you know, that I'd get paid for a remix. Um, but that was, what year would that? Maybe 2004, 5, 6, something like that. But to be honest, my time was really taken up with Evolution, DJing, um, doing bonkers stuff. Uh, and it, it kind of went on like that until... For me personally, about 2011, 12, I kind of had. I think, I think the the flame went out. You know, just burnt myself out. Mm-hmm. And is that the first time maybe you've actually really gave yourself a break? Because you, yeah, absolutely. And it, it wasn't even a break. It was like I had enough. Just had enough. And um, I would take the occasional gig. And actually, I I, I became really irrelevant. You know, so. If I did get the odd gig, I'd be at the bottom of the flyer, you know, and I'd be like, whatever, you know. But um, I'd, I'd, I'd put some had money you by. Up, had you gave up sort of pushing yourself or producing or Produ- are you just everything. at a crossroads kind of thing? Yep, everything. I was just, I just went through a time and I was like, I've had enough, you know. So I stopped making music. I stopped, uh, stopped taking bookings. Sorry, I'm looking at my window because I'm waiting for a delivery. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were still but, looking at the snow. That's it's, 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 an an able, it's an Ableton controller I'm waiting for. <laughs> a new Ableton Live 2. Uh, the push two coming. Yeah, but uh, anyway, um, yeah, I just I went through a few years. Um, probably, probably not not great personal years. Just kind of dark years. Just don't want to do anything didn't want to work didn't want to leave the house you know um, I think everybody goes through a, a uh-huh. kind of spell like that and then you know I, I don't know what, what year is this so tw- I've lost a couple of years I think everyone has uh, lost a couple of years off my age as well which I'm quite happy about <laughs> well <laughs> but, I believe uh, it's 2022 but you know it could be 2020 yeah I, I think sometime in the mid 2010s um I started writing music again and I thought this is really strange because a lot of my peers had really overtaken me and their um, the technology had, had advanced quite a lot and I was still running off this shitty old PC so I thought right bought, bought a new Mac and, and you know all the things all the, all the things that go with it and started writing again and, and the, the early stuff 
the, the new early stuff mm-hmm. it was all right some of it was good but then you know it, it all just kicked off again would you would you try to find yourself again or did you fall into the trapper try to recreate stuff that you had done because I think you, uh, sometimes when you get burnt out you're, it's maybe because you're always questioning yourself I've done that before that sounds like this that, that's no new you, you, you just you lose that spark because you've done it all so yeah absolutely picked it you up again are you, are you lost or are you instantly buzzing right music again well at, at the time I mean at the moment so at, at the time yeah it was it was a funny one because I was I was writing stuff but I just just wasn't happy with it and I was sticking records out for the sake of it and the I think another thing that hit me was the um, global recession around about 2008, mm-hmm. 2009. I lost a lot of money. Um, I think everybody did in the music industry anyway. You know, there was there was money, the checks in the post. It was one of those. Yep. That, that check never arrived. And God, the, the incentive just went and a lot of clubs went as well. So, you know, for, for years I was just kind of... Yeah, sitting playing computer games, you know, just getting tired chasing people for money that they owe you and all that kind of stuff. Exactly, yeah. But it, t- you know, times change. The MP3s became a big thing. Taunts were a big thing. So you know, but by the time you wrote a, a track, um, you knew it was available for download in days, and it, it was it was soul destroying. Yeah. But actually, the way things are now with, with streaming and and. Um, all the stores, there's so many MP3 stores that are reliable, they pay, mm. there's a lot of good uh, digital distributors. So a lot of that brought brought back the um, the interest. Um, and then COVID happened, you know? <laughs> and then I took I took the three, you know, like I said, I thought the first three months, okay, that'll be good. And then, you know, it just kept going and going. There was no gigs, there was nothing. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. Nobody knew. Nobody knew what was going on. You Did know, you get quite not, down during that one period? Thinking yeah, this is this is really it. No, this is it done. This is it. It's like what what is going to happen? What is going to happen next? I mean, uh-huh. I'm not just talking about music. Every industry, Everything. we were all told to stay at home and wash your hands. And I mean, I remember the first couple of times going back out. It was like. And I'm not even talking uh, gigs. It's like going to the supermarket. You, you're just avoiding people here. Aye, aye. Everyone's done the same thing. And um, I thought, I mean, to be honest, I've seen it through the through the COVID period. A lot of guys got really, really um, into writing music and putting a lot of stuff out. And that, but but for me, I, I came. You know, we both came from the same place where. You would write something, you would play it at the weekend as QTX, Ultrasonic, whatever. You would you would give it a, a test drive, you know, or mm-hmm. even if you DJed, you could stick it on a, a CD and, and give it a, a a test drive or a, ro- a wee road trip, see if it see if it worked. And and I, I just lost all that sort of interest. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, the gigs have come back. I feel like a lot of people they don't want to be educated or, or listen to new music. They just want to go out and go mental, you know? So uh-huh. hence the amount of uh, old school events that have popped up. I mean, you were, you were always doing 1994 before it anyway, but there's been a lot, you know, back to the, you know, doing a lot of bonkers sets back to yeah. 2000, back to the 90s, whatever, tons and tons of that. So I'm still, I'm still in a place like, if I write a new track now, 
people are still going to download something that I wrote 20 years ago mm-hmm. you know right. so it's a funny time but you know we'll, we'll see what happens I think I think it was what great I, I think it was great is, is it like you know like some people have got a real kind of fucking bee in their bonnet about no why to go back where I think it, it, what's the problem you know like go back celebrate the music that you've done and, and the good times yeah. because it's it's essentially what music's always been about escapism you know gone out at the weekend and maybe yeah. that time during lockdown people got a lot of time to reflect about you know the good times and when they used to go and when was their favourite period and their favourite music and, and I just think it's great that, that we can all still do it and I, I don't think anybody yeah. can be into dance music without being into what you've done because of what how much that you've released you know and even like when you ran, you ran your labels and all that I, for, for being an outsider looking in I could see the stuff that you were releasing on your labels it was changing the scene as in all these bedroom DJs were buying your records and mixing with your records and then going playing your records it was almost like it was like this scene within it's a scene yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so such a big part of loads of people's lives you know like no wonder people want to hear it again and fucking rave again because it's taking them oh, back. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, I mean, it, it's great. There's nothing better than, I mean, it's, it's great going out, but you know what it's like when you play a brand new tune, people, uh, you know, they don't know. Yeah, we step back first, don't you? To, yeah, what, yeah. What's this but, all about? If you, if you play a set, let's say, Okay, so you know I'm, I'm, I've got your uh, your 1994 set coming up soon. You know that every every set, every track that you drop, they're going to know it anyway, and it's it's that rush when it comes in, and then they realise mm. what it is. It's like, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, I think it's mad. They know the music even more now than they did back in the day because they've been oh, listening yeah. to it, or you know, such a big part of their lives more than as you know they listen to your music more than we do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Another thing I noticed during lockdown, a lot of people listened to old music. Um, they revisited, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the good old days, if you like, you know, and, and I had a lot of people saying things like that to me. And it's uh, it, it's it's nice, you know, it's nice. I, I, quite A lot of surprising things happened. Mm-hmm. For me, it was like, okay, well, whatever, you know, another day at home. Stay at home, get your injections, whatever, you know, you're told mm-hmm. what to do. And then people are telling you, 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 you're getting emails in saying, you know, if it wasn't for listening to your music through through lockdown, I don't know how they'd have done it, you know, and it's nah. like, that's, that's so nice, you know? Yep. It kind of puts it into perspective. And it, I mean, you've just got the blinkers on and you're boshing through the years or whatever. Again, the early years when you're seeing are just doing four tracks to try and get an EP done, do you think that maybe that? I, I was going to say carelessness, but that's not the thing. But that no overthinking things and smashing out the tracks. Yeah, your creativity is at full flow because you're no questioning yourself. Whereas yeah, now, absolutely. You're right. So you're going. Mm, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're back then. You you only overthinking things. You want that sounds great. Give me some of that. That or oh, that sample. Get that in there. And Bosch, the thing was that they didn't have the technology they've got now, so so making music was actually a lot easier. Yeah. As now, you know, it's so so you know so complex the amount of things and the amount of equipment you need but my, my aim back then if I had a four tracker I would um, I would basically aim to have two really good tracks on it and then two whatever tracks fillers, fillers. 
but but sometimes that that B two track was the one that everyone <laughs> loved. You know, you know what I mean. That happened a lot. That happened a lot. And uh, yeah, it's like you say. I was I was just in full flow, and it was just like bang, bang, bang. So it wouldn't be a case of I wouldn't write a four track EP and then a, maybe a three at track, then a four track and a four track. I would just write and write and write, and then I'd get to a point. Maybe I had twelve tracks. And I'd be like, right, okay, I'm going to make up, this is the next three or four, four releases and put it together that way. And the thing is, on, on my old uh, dat tapes, I never knew, there was no names. Track seven. <laughs> yeah, it was track seven, or it would have the date on it, April, Newfound, <laughs> and I would have the BPM and that was it. So when when it actually came to uh, cataloging everything and putting it on online for release, what a nightmare! Really? If it wasn't for Discogs and um, YouTube, I'd be screwed. Probably <laughs> I, the I, hardest I, thing was trying to come up with a different project names for the music you were writing. Oh uh, no! Oh god, it was crazy. I know. I mean, I'd, I'd be asking mates and everything. I'd be like, oh, give give me a name for a band or something, you know. Mm. <laughs> I mean, some of the some of the projects that you started blew up and became bands themselves, didn't they? Back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got a flinging bass X at you because because that's a, that's a big one, isn't it? And even yeah, to this yeah. Day. I mean, that, that was my brother. So it was that that was something. I mean, Stuart Stuart's um, he's four years younger than me, so he was coming out to gigs. He was going to love at the Plaza when he was like fourteen, fifteen. <laughs> but he always sneaked out. Yeah, he always always looked quite old for his age. He was always tall, so you know he, he used to come to gigs and ah, uh, we we decided at one point well like let's let's get a project. So I got an Atari ST back then. You know, it was before before the um, uh, the Max or or whatever. I got him a sampler and a, an Atari uh, uh, Atari ST and. Um, couple of keyboards you know a couple of stuff from my studio so I'd be in one room writing music he'd be in the next room I, I don't know what my mum done she must have been downstairs she just, left you know, went short alter, alternating <laughs> kick drums and all sorts and you know yeah. what it's like when you're, when you're playing a track you play back a little bit and a little bit a little bit over and over uh, and over it's not like it's not like you listen to the whole five minutes or four minutes or whatever it is but um, that, that was a project that we did want to get on the road we didn't know if we could but but we did but there was, there was so many others there was uh, Deviation Crew there was Massive I'm trying to think of, uh, even like the Massive one I texted you a couple of weeks ago and I, I said was, was that right, one yeah. of yours because it's, it's, it's a track that I think it's, it's always been like a wee favourite of mine and then I think I seen it was like a Q-Tex remix and I was like is that Scott that's done that and then you went like aye that's one of the ones I've done ages ago I think yeah it's, yeah it's yeah. another wee fucking belter of a track I know, and and it was really big in England as well, and especially in the north of England, it was I think it was like about 140 BPM, mm. and it's just a real, you know, the kick, it's just very very simple, you know, very very simple track, but always worked, you know. Just worked. What what made you? Th- I mean, we've spoken. You've told me you you, you like other music like you're, you're into sort of heavy metal would you say or something am I right yeah yeah I'm still a metal head right is that... there's, a new, there's a new corn album out last week very good <laughs> <laughs> anybody wants to check it out yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, so I'm, I'm quite I'm quite open to my music and, and I like some heavier stuff but would you say your love for that kind of music is what made your music sort of hard because you're kind of known for the harder side 
Yeah. Would you say it's coming through the rock angle, or what's what's what made you side with that? Could could have been. I mean, I, actually, another thing, you know. So I was talking about um, being into. Uh, madness and the police and stuff like that but also in the in the 80s I, I loved Iron Maiden and mm-hmm. stuff like that and uh, yeah it, it could have been but a lot a lot of techno and acid and stuff that came out in the 80s I loved as well but I, I, I don't know I don't know what happened I don't know where the switch happened because when, when we started doing QTX it was all quite piano-y and melodic and we wanted to to be we wanted it to be commercial, you know, we wanted to do that kind of thing. But there was a lot of stuff that was coming from Spain or Italy, big kick drums, big offbeat, eh, 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 and I loved it, absolutely mm. loved it. We had guys like, um, who did Terapia? What was the guy? Ramirez. Ramirez. That you stuff know, was incredible, wasn't it? Really, uh, Hocus Pocus, stuff like aye, that. Aye. And, and a lot of that stuff really influenced me and then with, with stuff coming in from Holland with um, Poing the Rotterdam te- uh, uh, what was it called uh, Maurice I can't remember but Poing Poing Boing. that's right aye. and it was just it was just a, a, just a 909 and a, and a, a, a Poing Speedy you know Jane I mean? stuff like that or his kind of stuff yeah that all kind of... that eh, eh, eh. Yeah. everybody knows it you know and that that stuff that stuff I don't know it just tickled me you know Aye. I loved it and, and I want that's kind of what I wanted to do you know and it was never for getting gigs abroad I, I could never imagine playing abroad could never you know like I said earlier I could never even imagine doing a gig but that's that's the way it happened you know what? but now you know, after all this, you know, I, I do have some gigs. I've got some gigs in Spain coming up. I've got some gigs in Holland, and I'm like, oh god, I've got you know, going to the going to the airport, parking up, going through that whole thing, getting on a plane. Oh, I can't be bothered. I, th- I but, think, well, especially well, the older you get, the traveling's just so much harder on you physically, <laughs> but in it, but. Mentally, so old. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you you, you keep yourself occupied with like your mad selfies in the toilet and stuff like that. And yeah, you got it. You know, I mean, flying flying is so utterly utterly boring. I mean, anybody anybody who flies and stays in hotels for a living will know how utterly boring it is. So. You know, you end up having a few beers in the in the airport, then you have a few beers in the plane, get into the toilet, get the selfie face on, you know. And, and you know, I don't know how many I'll go in there. I won't even go for the toilet, I'll go in there for like five minutes. <laughs> Just to break the monotony. <laughs> <laughs> Taking forty pictures. And then I'll go back to the seat. You know, in the plane, you're, you're sitting in easy jet or something and you're crammed in. And I'm sitting there pissing myself laughing, looking at these <laughs> Which aren't actually as funny as what... I mean, oh, all right, they, they do entertain people, but see when you've had a few beers, it's, it's hilarious, you know. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh, yeah, this, this is the one. So, I do, you know, I'll sit on my phone and I'll put it all together just as soon as I land, <laughs> upload. <laughs> uh, but that, that's it, you know, because you know you're going to sit there, some guy who probably doesn't speak English, she's going to pick you up go to the hotel you're going to watch some Italian TV or something you might speak a bit Italian I don't know you know you know you go to a lot of foreign countries and the first thing you kind of tend to do is look for the music channels because it's the only thing you can understand yeah. it's not, not the same now you know you can watch things on your phone and whatnot but back then Wow, you'd, you'd no contact with the outside world. <laughs> anybody. Anything to break the monotony. But what, what what I really like now, especially because of 
the vaccine situation and, and foreigners not allowed to come to the UK. So a lot of the homegrown talent since since reopen has been brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot lot of young guys who I'd never heard of two years ago who are absolutely killing it and doing all sorts of stuff. And it's great. It's good to see. It's good to see a, a sort of a new um, a new generation of of talented producers. Definitely. You what know, do you think about when these young guys or whatever are, are being influenced by your tracks? You know, like, uh, how does that feel for you? It's incredible. I mean, uh, David Russ came up to me in, um, in Newcastle. It was like the opening night. It was back in July. And he was he was like, I can't believe it's actually you. you. You wrote these tunes. And Will Atkinson and guys like, oh, like God, you wrote these tunes. And I'm like... What you know? Just, I inspired uh, them, you know, from maybe young guys at in the room. Point, I mean, they they were probably five years old or something when I wrote <laughs> that stuff. But in some kind of way, they've been inspired, and and yeah, it's nice. Of course, yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. really nice. I mean, I've got my heroes as well. You know, um, they might not be DJs, they might be bands, but I guess we've all got our heroes. Who, we've all got our people who who are they then, Scott? What I mean, you want to just be interest. God, so many. Put you on I mean, the spot there. I'm talking up. Yeah, I'm talking. I mean, I've been to see it away state so many times. Enjoy so many times. Guy called Gerald. This was when when I was really getting into dance music. Yep. Um, New Order. My God. New Order. I know. Most of the '80s was listening to Joy Division and New Order. Um, but the very yeah, the very first. I think the very first thing I got would have been a Police single. It would have been. Do 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 da 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 something mm-hmm. like that. You know? <laughs> what and, about, uh, meeting some of your heroes is all. I've always found is a bit disappointing sometimes. The point where I'd, I'd really terrified. try and avoid that. Aye. Uh, yeah, I'd be terrified, and I, I have, I have, had a, I have met quite a few guys. I mean, um, they'll never remember. I remember I met Nick Kershaw um, when I was recording Qtex down London and. He was he was nice enough, you know, but I was I was like starstruck, you know. Oh, this, is, oh, this is this is Nick Kershaw. Most people listening to this won't know who he who is. He is. But, <laughs> uh, but it was a big deal. It was for a, a few big, years. big deal. And the thing is, he's still a big producer, and he's a very good singer, very very talented. But yeah, I mean, I've I've been in planes and I've had a couple of upgrades, and you're sitting in amongst people. I, I remember, um, so uh, I was flying from Manchester to. Amsterdam with a gig, some gig in Holland, and in the seat next to me was uh, Man United goalkeeper Edwin van der Sar and Holland goalkeeper, and um, absolutely starstruck. Yeah, I, I didn't say two words to him, and I was dying. I, I was dying to get a selfie. I was dying for an autograph, and I was like, "Oh no, you know, if, if it was me sitting there and, and someone started asking me that was sitting next to me, I'd be like, oh uh-huh. You know, <laughs> we're here the full flight. I'm too busy thinking of my next toilet selfie. <laughs> <laughs> there loads of people. It was like a queue of people wanting photos with the guys and and selfies. Uh, sorry, um, autographs. So yeah, I, you just I was, played it cool. I, I just played it cool and made it look. Maybe he knew who I was. I don't know. <laughs> He's from that. I've got the bonkers now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The funny thing is the most. The most. Unusual people tell you that that they're in, they're into you, you, you mm. know, like uh, they like bonkers, they like evolution. They've got all your records, you know. It's it's funny. 
That's bizarre. And, I, I mean, it's it, no end that you, because you never really think where your music's travelling, because you're not with well, it, but it's got to know everywhere that you know. Yeah. And that was the funny thing, you know, back in the vinyl days and, and talking about Australia and places like that, these guys would be getting the, the tracks four, five, six weeks later because it had to be shipped over. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, when you release something, it's instant, it's yep. everywhere. You know, so it used to be crazy. You, you'd go to these places, even Germany, Holland, whatever, you'd put, you'd put something on and, and all the DJs would, were inevitably hanging around they'd be, they'd be looking and like what's this what's this track what's this track he's playing but uh, yeah different now you know because it's it's all it's all instant but Aye. it's nice because if a track's big here it's instantly instantly big elsewhere it's not got the same shelf life but that's the kind of sad thing about it really no it? that's the thing you know there's so many producers now and music is, is it's very throwaway you know and it's so cheap mm-hmm. you know you used to pay it was six quid for a, a, a vinyl um, or an import would be a tenner or something. Now people cry about paying 99 pence. For I know, I know. It's now that's crazy. not everybody, I'm not generalising, but but I have heard it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, fuck it, I'll just get it from a torrent site or something like that, you know. I know. And it's just kind of cringe when you hear that, then you're just like, fuck, fuck. I know. All the guy running the label. So uh, to, to, get, to bring it up to now, where are you now, Scott? And is there... What's, what's what's on the horizon for you music wise and well what's happening now I mean Scotland and England have been a bit different so I was meant to be in Scotland on New Year's Eve and obviously Scotland just got shut down yep. you know it was um, pretty depressing times actually so I haven't actually done a gig since the, no sorry I have done the, the first gig I did back was in uh in Leicester at the end of January and I've never seen anything so busy it was absolutely mm-hmm. nuts absolutely crazy but there was two months there December, January were just horrible you know and then um, now the, the diary is just looking crazy again and really? Scotland a lot of things are coming in from Scotland Northern Ireland Wales I mean I'm not so bothered about the foreign things it's 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 getting to the places where I should be you know and mm-hmm. There's a lot of things coming up. There's your thing. There's stuff at Ingolston. Um, so many things, and it's and it's great. But they, they still, you know, there's still a lot of them are old school things, and people want to get that out their system. But I do want to start writing again and and um, getting getting back up to, you know, getting to current levels. A lot of the hardcore that's going around at the moment, I'm I'm so so with. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it, I'm I'm like how did they do that you know <laughs> and that's aye, aye. they're the ones that I'm chasing after because I want to know how they did it I want, you know I want to make these sounds I want to make these, make these records so that that's kind of where I'm at I'm still I'm still in, in Dracula mode where um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dozing off sitting here it's nothing to do with you <laughs> <laughs> cheers mate cheers but I, I mean, just need you know I'm at that age I just need my wee afternoon nap aye. I, know, <laughs> I, I, I agree because I'm there as well <laughs> <laughs> so rounding off uh, that's what I good afternoon <laughs> no, no, that, everyone that's <laughs> but that's that's where I am you know I still go in the studio we did Bonkers Radio last year I, I actually pulled out of it because it was just uh, it was just taking up so much time yeah, it's a big commitment isn't it and uh, you know I mean you'll know what it's like when you're doing a radio show I mean you look you look ready you know I can 
okay, this is a podcast, but I can see you and you've got your headphones and you've got the microphone and everything. Just because I've, I've, I've done a few of these and, and I've I run a, a day a wee podcast with my mate and stuff, so it's just on a desk. Yeah, no, you, you're ready to go. I'm sitting here on my laptop and I'm in I'm in one of my many living rooms, you know. <laughs> and you're in your, snug. In the estates and brown towers. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it, it was very time consuming because I was setting it all up and then I was getting it, making making sure it was sounding right and my voice was cutting through the music mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And it was so time consuming and, and it was back at that time. You know, when, when everyone was doing live streams, everyone was doing radio stations and it yep. felt like you were competing against everyone. And I ended up just bowing out, you know, because mm-hmm. it was just one of those things. Uh, it's, it's a bit of stress around it. I mean, the reason why I do these podcasts and really enjoyed doing them is because I was just scunnered with the DJ Mix podcast. Because yes, yeah. my, my, this wee podcast has been running for about 10 years or something. And, wow. and it was maybe like you know already. Aye, but I, the I remember interview, talking to you when 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 you started doing them. Aye, but the interview things is maybe the last three four years, just because I just yeah. went, you know what, I, I just don't want to do these DJ mix ones. And then I thought, you know what, but what else could I do? And then like, talking to guys like you, and and it really has became its own wee thing, and I'm enjoying it, and that's good enough for me. You know, talking to guys like yourself and, and, and just getting a laugh and talking about this mad fucking game that we're playing or this industry or whatever you want to call it you know and it's and it's just helped me continue doing something that I love within music I, I, like you're saying you're, it is a wee bit of work in the post-production stuff but just, it's maybe more work doing a, a DJ mix because you're thinking about tunes and you know structuring it and stuff like that whereas this oh, we're sitting and, and we're having and a conversation the, and the beats mixed and, and I, not, up. Exactly, and then going like for fuck's sake, and why fix mixes and stuff. So this is just a organic conversation, and no really too many edits, and it's something that I come I come away with. And I go, I really enjoyed that, you know. And it's no like it'll give me something to listen to once I'm back out. I've got this weekend off, and then I'm back on the road. What have we got next? What date is it? Uh, what date is it? It's the seventeenth of February. Well, February, yeah. So I don't know when this is going out. Seventeenth of February. So yeah, I'll probably try and get it out for the end of the month. Yeah. So you know, there's a, there's a few things coming up. But I think, yeah, I think the first thing I've got coming up in Scotland's for you. So yeah, brilliant. Because I, I remember one of the other ones that the nineteen ninety fours we played. I was like, mate, I'm going pure fanboy on you. You need to play early. <laughs> I grabbed I grabbed the mic at the end of the night and I was just just abusing people. Oh my god. <laughs> but I mean I always I'll, for me I always like ask you or whatever for the tubular bells one because I remember we'd done a gig together back when we fucking hated each other. I think it was like the, <laughs> the Carlton Studios or something, the news came on and you'd done tubular bells and I just went, that's it, it's fucking game over. That, yeah. that is the best fucking thing I've heard them do and I was just like in awe because I was like a fan as well because I'm still admiring the dance music that he's a producer stuff and I've just gone that is it fucking game over give them the prize that's it Yeah. and, and then D- you told me digital you fucking bells. lost it <laughs> yeah D- Digital Bells we called it and, Digital Bells man I still, I still wanted to release it and as far as I'm aware the, the original that I think it got recorded over oh, mate um yeah, and I've tried so many ways to, to like I've got I've got tape recordings of it and I've tried to make better, you mm-hmm. know, 
you just captured a moment yeah. with that recording, didn't you? But that was that was it, and it was it was live as well. It wasn't sequenced. It was it was literally switching off and on tracks. That's mm-hmm. how you did it. Um, so there's a couple of little glitches in it that that I pick up on that people might not. But the old like the so getting a bit taken again. The resonant filter, you know, it was going one year and all that kind of stuff. That was all done live by hand, and that was that was the best thing about the D10 because. If you get a resonant filter now, <laughs> this is really techie. I don't want to <laughs> people, but it goes, wow. You know, it's quite smooth. Aye, the D10 was, was in steps. So it was, and it used to be able to get the maddest effects. And we had that breakbeat running through yep. it as well, you know? And it was, it was even I listened back and I'm like, man, I'll never recreate that. You know, I've still got all the samples. I've still got all the, yep. the things that I made to do it. But You're right, it's that human element. You talking yeah, it was about, very, about live, the machine. very organic, yeah. Nothing it was nothing was sequenced. It was like I think it was Gordon's idea. He's like, I, I want to do uh, tubular bells and I was That's like, a goth vibe in a minute. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> we, we called it digital digital bells, but it was never released. I think we released it on a, a tape on M8 magazine. Mm-hmm. Um you know they used to always ask for um, a track and give away a tape every yeah. other month or whatever so it came out on that it's the amount of people that ask for it and I'm I'm like I'm dying inside <laughs> I don't have it it's like one of the few tracks that I've made that I, I don't have anymore is there any so, other tracks that stick out for you like you've got four memories of or something that uh, over your career wow I mean Power of Love's obviously right up there you know because just just it was at a time when we were kind of, a lot of the Q-Tech stuff actually from the, the mid-90s was was really, I just, they were just good times because we were we were going to the best of recording studios. I met Nick Kershaw, you know what I mean? I was working with, um, I was working with a guy, oh, James, what was, James was brilliant. He was the engineer in the studio and he had recorded with M people and he recorded Ebenezer Good he worked with the Shaman mm-hmm. and he would He it was like doctor-patient confidentiality we asked him so many times what the story of Ebenezer Good was what it was like in the studio and he just wouldn't tell us now I don't know if you know uh, Mr. C uh, was it Mr. C? Mm-hmm. He, he actually told the story on Facebook he posted it on his Facebook or something didn't yeah, he? Yeah absolutely brilliant for, uh-huh. for 25, 26, 27 years I've wanted to know that story you know and, and James just wouldn't tell us so when I saw that I was like yes, yes. <laughs> shared. everybody shared it was shared so many people were like this is a brilliant story but mm-hmm. for me it was like you know it was just that wee bit extra because we had been hounding this guy for aye, the story aye. you know right you've recorded with the shaman tell us tell us the story you know but you know things like that. You know a lot of the QTEX stuff, the early evolution stuff, like the equation stuff, a lot of the basic stuff. They were they were just huge, huge tracks. And the untold story is, you know, like hardcore disco. I never made a penny from it, you know. And we must have sold ten. Fi- I don't even know ten, fifteen. Was that not even on your label or that? No, it was on. Um, it was on Shoop. Right. And, um, they unfortunately Shoop got caught up in in the. The, the demise of Delta Delta distribution. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was another one of the tracks, and there was another a lot of the tracks 
that were big for me and actually they're still big for me the ones on, on the Dutch labels like on Dwarf and stuff like that never made a lot of money on those um, if any but what it did for my career was mm-hmm. you, know, you, you can't put that into the figures you know it's right it, it was good and, and still people come up and they're like oh, you're the Scotchman actually I didn't even make the name it was Scotchman it's, it's not even right it's the Scotsman isn't it mm-hmm. but uh, I wanted it to be I, I wanted it under my name but yeah. they wanted it just came in one day and it was called the Scotchman I'm like what, was they all, came up with that they came up with it they just banged it <laughs> out they put it on the thing and I was all I was all pissing I thought it was a play on your name that's what I thought <laughs> Yeah, I think I think from their point of view, it was a play in my name and with Scotch whiskey and uh-huh. maybe something like that or something. But uh, when it came in, I was like, things spelt it right, and you know, I'm on the phone. I'm like, fuck's sake, guys! But uh, no, in the end, it actually worked out right. You yeah. know, and, uh, you know, you get guys coming up, hey, you're the Scotchman, eh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. What about? <laughs> Is there any any want in you to do? I I know you've done compilation albums and stuff, but have you ever wanted to kind of put together an artist album under either Scott Brown or one of the many releases or stuff? Or maybe you have that. I don't know about it. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I've done I've done a few um, back in the the two thousands under under my own name, and and I loved doing them, and I, I didn't make huge money on them they yep. sold they, they did well I love doing them but as as CDs as the, as the arse fell out of the CD market I kind of I was just like you know I just didn't want to do anymore but people still ask and they want me to do like a, I don't know maybe a, a 10 track album mm-hmm. out on, on MP3 whatever but I think um, with the, vent, so, uh, the, the vinyl revival and stuff you could you could do like a a limited edition run of vinyl and, and CDs easier one of your albums uh, definitely I mean the, you know these the not not even the GoFundMe things but the there's what's it called Crates there's a company called Crates and, and people but Crates were cute at the start mm-hmm. I don't know if you know the company so no I don't know basically it's the same kind of thing people basically fund it first yep. and then once you hit a target then people get their vinyl so that's a great uh, way to do it especially, especially now you know putting the initial investment in yourself because it's you know yourself it's so volatile but if you could do something like Kickstarter or, or the Crates one or something like I just think it's a great way to get particularly albums out there you know because yeah. you know yourself with an album majority of people will, will take a single but an album is a wee bit more work and maybe knows rewarding financially but creatively it's a fucking great way to just get yeah. a piece of music out there it's a good thing, and and if people are driving around and they're, they're listening to it on the in their stereo in their car or whatever, and it, and it's like you know you know when you like something you mm-hmm. just keep listening, listening, and you get your favourites. You might have 10, 14 tracks or whatever, but there'll be two or three absolute gems in there for one person. Another person might hate the album, another might love the whole thing. But yep. that that's that's a huge reward, and that it brings people out. You know, it's if if they see your name on a flyer. Um, that's what brings people out so it's like mm, I want to listen to that at the moment I still feel because of everything that's been going on I still feel people are coming out because they just want to come out and, mm-hmm. and want to party and I get that you know and, and, and I want to give them that party you know I want to play the tunes that they're familiar with and I'll do it at your your event you know hopefully <laughs> I'll, I'll get the I'll get the bangers <laughs> fingers crossed yeah my fingers are crossed underneath the, the <laughs> underneath the laptop here <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to it man and, uh, hopefully you, 
you do get an album and stuff like that as well and you you know put something yeah, like that I mean, as well I'm sure there's loads of people knows, that hear it who knows what's going to happen I mean I've, I've, I've seen quite a few I know you you did a, you've done a few things you've done some stuff with uh, Gene Frequency yep um, which was really good uh, and I've seen some other guys some other friends doing uh, Kickstarters GoFundMe's whatever you want to call them you know mm-hmm. and they've, done, they've done well and it's been quite interesting what they've been doing you know bringing out limited edition USBs or fancy, fancy packaging and it, actually more of it looks like keepsakes than I, well, I think that's that's Practical, yeah. I just having that tangible product again, you know, and, and it's maybe yeah. the, the vinyl's maybe not getting played, the fr- they're framing it. Yeah, do, you know, do you know what I've seen a lot recently actually? Cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've come across that. I've seen guys doing the cassette I, tapes. And, and again, they're about, total keepsakes because people, yeah, absolutely. Got a tape deck. I, I think, I think I might have a tape recorder somewhere, a, a tape deck in the studio. Don't even know if it works, you know, it'll be one of those with the, the pencil and. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking dust it down before you power it on and all that yeah it's a Denon it's a good one as well um, but uh, yeah talking about that Corn album that was out last week they, they released a single off it a month ago and it was on cassette as well so it was like limited edition cassette I mean limited to them is probably more than no, I'll ever 40,000 <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they've done cassette CD whatever you know and, and, and vinyl so as a fan are you in there buying that are you, you collecting that stuff um, I haven't been collecting it but I, I, I'm mad on, on Spotify I'm always right. listening to stuff and maybe I should expand and and I keep thinking maybe I should get a few more uh, like I had Apple Music and I didn't actually like it and then I moved to Spotify but there's so many other streaming services that I'm missing out on mm-hmm. I you're doing a lot of stuff and God, I'm, I'm going to have to name them all now are you allowed to That's name them all here? it's hard to keep <laughs> talking well, about that many isn't there? I know there is there really is but it's um, I mean a lot of the stuff I, I, I just read Facebook or you see it on Twitter or um, what, whatever platform it might be, Instagram, you'll, you'll see something and it's like, yeah. But I would like to, I, I, I must admit, I'm going to tell you this. I bought a Chris Whitty mug the other day. Who's uh, Chris Whitty? Chris Whitty, next slide, please. You know, he, he was a guy that was always giving us coronavirus data. <laughs> I wanted that <laughs> mug. I wanted that mug. So it's going to come on Monday. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what is that just something that you went I need to have that in my life yeah, it? yeah so it was like a tenner for the mug I don't even drink tea or coffee but I want the mug I maybe have a bovril you know put a bovril in it but, <laughs> but get it posted I'm thinking of, I mean people have got t-shirts in that made next slide please because it's he's, he's, he's kind of he's catchphrase almost yeah brilliant man Mad. Well, I think we can wrap up there with that amazing uh, mug story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually, I actually forgot about it until I get the Amazon thing in this morning, and it's like it'll be arriving on Monday. I'm like, oh, no, man. <laughs> was, was that was that a drunken purchase one night? Was it? <laughs> uh, it could have been. There's been a few. I tell you what, during lockdown, there's been a few drunken purchases. Um, I'm trying to think what the worst thing is. It's tough to look around. When my glasses, <laughs> this is short range things. I'm short sighted, long sighted. Sorry, uh, no, but I have bought a few few stinkers uh, during lockdown, thinking that'd be a great idea. This is what I need. Aye, and then the, I tell you what, the, my missus got is the perfect draft beer maker. 
And that's dangerously good. But seriously, my mate just bought one yesterday. She's moved into a new house. And uh, I was talking to him about it and I said, mate, I, I cannot buy that because I, I, I'll just sit and destroy it, you know? You will, you will. How, how big are the kegs? Are they six litres? Ten and a half pints. Ten and a half pints? See, that's... That's... that's you know, if you start at like six, that'll take you through till midnight or Aye, but whatever. that's a good thing. So look, you know you're kind of like almost, it's it's stopping you from going crazy because by the time you replace it, you have to wait for it to chill. So then uh, two really? kegs or whatever is not going to happen, you know? So you can, I mean, if the two of us were drinking, that, that'd be done in two or three hours or whatever. <laughs> but if you're sitting and you're having a few at night, you know you're not going to go mental and it's because it does end. As ah, in, you okay. need to stop. So that's the only good thing about it. But it's great just to have a, a crisp, cold pint. That that was the thing through during the start of lockdown. A pint, oh my god! Mm. I mean, actually, quite a lot because all the pubs were closed and stuff. Aye. And it was all bottles of beer, and you'd go to the supermarket, and the shelves were empty. And the first time it was uh, last December, I got a pint. I went. I, I had to stay in a hotel. I had to go up to Scotland. I don't think I was allowed to, but it was a. I, I was allowed to. It was a exceptional circumstances, and I remember going to the hotel, and the bar was it was all like perspex screens and stuff, but I saw a Heineken tap, and and I just had to say, is this is this on? And they were like, yeah. I'm like, first pint ages. Amazing! I was in the room, Instagram. <laughs> the simple people things. are like, "How did you get that?" Oh, I'm not telling you. Uh, it's a long story. <laughs> but yeah, the the, the home, the, the the kegerator or whatever, uh, it scares me. Uh, I suppose. Uh, I, you remember, uh, you used to go to buy those. You can still buy them, the five liter things that you can stick. I used to always get the desperados things. Uh-huh. <sighs> it, that, that was painful. I've you know? got to say, that's a bit. I, 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 then I would I would do the whole thing. The first few pints were all froth, and then the next I'd just destroy it. And then the next day it was just painful. So I've never I've never done it again for those reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's a, maybe you shouldn't get one then because you would go nuts. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've seen it and uh, uh, nah, <laughs> don't think it's for afternoon and all that. Just you go, ah, it's there. It's shouting me. I'll have a wee then. Yeah, <laughs> a wee pint, a wee nap. I know. Well, mate, listen, it's been absolutely amazing just A, catching up with you and also just finally talking. And actually managing to do it. (laughs) Aye, aye, getting the time to do it, man. It's been brilliant. It's nice talking. It's it's always good to talk. Excellent. And uh, I I look forward to seeing you at 1994 as well. We'll get a couple of pints then. Look forward to it. Um, Do you want to shout out any websites or that just for people listening or? You know, where can Always they find you? It's my own website. There's not really much on it, but you know, you can see things of me or, or DJ Scott Brown on, on anything on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, if you want to see what's happening. I normally um I'm normally complaining at the DHL or something like that, you know, or, or DPD because <laughs> not music something's, something's hidden in the garden and it's soaking, you know. But uh, <laughs> but um they're, they're, if if you're into going out, they're the places I always put my my flyers and and what's happening up there. So yeah, other than that, you know, it's uh, nappy time for me. <laughs> well I've held you back long enough we'll just end it there mate <laughs> lovely nice one good speaking to you alright
Facebook, DJ Malorkali. I've been up for four days. I don't know what's right and wrong anymore. Oh, wow, that stuff's incredible. Excel Podcast.